Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Everyone is eligible for RX Savings Plus. There's no age or income restrictions and no paperwork. Simply print a card and start saving on your prescriptions. Start saving today. Enroll and print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 96362. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be breastfed. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. We have a great show coming up today. We're going to be talking about breastfeeding after breast reduction. And to do that, joining us today is my special guest, Diana West. Diana is the author of the book, Defining Your Own Success, Breastfeeding After Breast Reduction Surgery, and other books as well. Hi, Marie. How are you? I'm so pleased to be here with you. I wanted to tell you that uh, as I was inviting you to the show, I was thinking about that really nice day that we were both speaking in Michigan, and I met you in the lobby of the hotel, and I just sort of felt an instant, uh, like, wow, this is a woman I could really get to like, and I, I did. I felt like I could like you right away. Oh, I'm so glad so you could nice. be on the show. Well, it's so nice, and I felt exactly the same way, and boy, didn't we have a great day speaking together that day. Oh, we did. We did. Actually, I remember the food was pretty good, too. (laughs) I am so glad that you can join us. This is an area where I often feel like I still have some unanswered questions, and so I think that it will be a really beneficial uh, show, not only for those mothers who are listening, and I'm sure that we have a plenty of mothers, but also for those who are not mothers and who may be contemplating whether or not they actually want to wade in and do the reduction surgery, and also for those people who are the professionals, because I know that I have suggested, don't miss my show with Diana West, because she is the last word on this surgery and its impact. So uh, I know that you're going to have a lot of different things to say to a lot of people, and, and probably from a lot of levels. For those of you who haven't seen Diana's book, I want to tell you, this is not like some skinny little thing, okay? 
it's more than 300 pages of Diana's knowledge. And Diana really knows her stuff here. Uh, So I'm going to ask you, Diana, if you would please, could you just start out with a question that I think might be on the minds of many people who are just contemplating having reduction surgery, and that is, is it really possible to breastfeed after breast or nipple surgery? It's such a great question, Marie. And I think that the first place that we need to start is actually by determining what we mean by breastfeeding. I know that sounds really bizarre, but it's really true. Yeah, because this is um, a misunderstanding that sometimes leads people into um, areas that really don't serve them well. And what I really define breastfeeding to mean is a baby at a breast nursing well. The mother's enjoying it, baby's enjoying it, that's breastfeeding. What I'm not talking about is the amount of milk. Yes. So what's really important to understand is, and this is something that those of us who work with mothers see all the time, is it's very, very possible to breastfeed very happily, very successfully, without having a full milk supply. Now, of course, we all know that the more milk you have, the easier it is, usually. Sure. Um, sure. But it's not a deal breaker not to have a full supply. And that's important because we know that sometimes of breast reduction surgery can result in reduced milk supply, at least for the first baby. Diana, I think to me, the important word that you said there is, it's not a deal breaker. Yes, exactly. And so many times women think that it has to be all or nothing. And while I'm a big proponent of exclusive breastfeeding, that's... Uh, that's not the only option, I guess, is how I think of it. We want exclusive breastfeeding when it's possible because when a baby is exclusively breastfed human milk, the gut flora, the bacteria in the intestines, is at the proper, the best pH level. It's the best types of bacteria, which increases the immune system. So in addition to all the other immune factors in human milk and all the great nutrition, being exclusively breastfed leads to an optimal gut environment, which is really important for um, health, really, in addition yes. to immunities. But that's, as you said, that's not all there is to it. So if it's possible to have exclusive milk, that's great. But a mother doesn't necessarily always have to have exclusive milk to breastfeed. And also there are ways of supplementing with donated milk that can take up the slack for some mothers. So there's lots of ways to work around these situations. One of the things I often say is that any breastfeeding is better than no breastfeeding. Exactly. And so, yes, you know, I've, I've, I know what the ideal is, but that doesn't mean that it's got to be that way. And one of the things that I find is especially excellent about your book, Diana, is all of these really good illustrations. I'm going to just grab it here and see if I can quickly put my hand on where it is. Uh, but you really did a whiz-bang job in looking at those illustrations of the um, uh, the incisions. Now, Our listeners don't have the benefit of the visuals. So can you talk to us just a little bit about the different types of incisions, but not just their name, but rather, so what? Like, like what difference does it make? Okay, go. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, first of all, I have to give a call out to my uh, illustrator, Tina Litwack. She is an amazing uh, medical illustrator who we were very uh. fortunate to have worked for us on this book. She <clears throat> illustrated several different scenarios. Um, one of the things that we were trying to help people understand is the different types of incisions and the effect that they have on the tissue that's removed during the surgery. One, and I'll talk more about that in just a second, but first, before I say that, I do want to really point out something that is, I think, fundamental for mothers to understand. When mothers go to see a plastic surgeon, they typically are handed a brochure. And that brochure has uh, line drawings and everything is so clear cut and the lines are so sharp and everything looks so <laughs> simple. You know, you almost picture, oh, hey, I could do this surgery myself at lunchtime, you know. But the reality, if you're in a surgical room in an OR and you're actually viewing a surgery being performed on a woman, a reduction surgery, you are typically uh, really amazed at the difference between those line drawings and the reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's going to take me, uh, I, I really will get back to your question, but it's off to tell mothers, don't worry, I'll be careful to avoid all the lactation tissue. And one thing that I have discovered and I have confirmed with plastic surgeons, if she's not lactating actively, which a woman typically never is to have a reduction surgery, it is almost impossible to identify the glandular tissue, the ducts, the, the alveoli, the milk-making tissue that are connected to the nipples. So it is very unlikely that a surgeon will be able to protect those areas in order to preserve breastfeeding. So what it comes back to, and this is gonna bring us full circle, what it comes back to is the type of surgery. So the incision is a very good indication of what type of surgery she had. However, it can be misleading. Some incision patterns on her breast look like it's a typical anchor shape. So you have an incision that goes all the way around the areola, uh -huh. straight down, and then underneath, kind of in a smile shape, underneath the breast. So it looks like an anchor, if you can picture. And excuse, that is, excuse me. For those of you who have Diana's book, that's on page 27. Ah, very nice. That type of incision pattern is very consistent with several different types of breast reduction surgeries, including the pedicle surgery. So that could be the superior pedicle. Let me define a pedicle. That's the amount of tissue that's underneath the areola into which the ducts, the nerves, and the blood supply are connected. And that area is left intact and then just moved with everything still attached to it into a new location. And some mothers think that that means that it's been completely severed off because they see an incision all the way around the areola. But in fact, it was just moved, not removed. So in the pedicle surgeries, these types, this pedicle area is moved. But what really makes the critical determination of her milk production capability is whether or not, or excuse me, where they remove tissue. If they remove it below the areola, then that means that what they kept is above, and above in surgical terms is superior. Superior. That's the superior right. technique. So they're leaving everything intact above the areola, but scooping out underneath. That's usually not great for lactation outcomes because right. 
the heavier glandular tissue is at the bottom of the breast because it's heavier. Nature just brings it down lower. So that area is more susceptible to having glandular tissue. It's more likely to have glandular tissue. The surgical technique that we see that's typically better is for breastfeeding outcomes is the inferior technique, which means the part that's left intact is below the areola. It's inferior to it. And that's the type that most women in North America have. I personally had breast reduction surgery, and that is the type of surgery that I had. Most of us have no idea what to um, what what type is better than another for breastfeeding when we go sure. into surgery. It's it's really luck of the draw for what the surgeon is trained to do, and surgeons do have their preferences of what they think has the better outcome. I've and- been- Nonstop, I'll let you talk. <laughs> oh, I was going to grab it anyway because we have less than a minute to go. We have actually less than a half of a minute to go. Uh, what I'd like to ask is you had that surgery, and can you give us just a 20 second synopsis of the fact that you really were successful with more than one child, as I recall? Right, three babies. I can talk more after the break, but three babies. The first baby I nursed for about three months and then pumped exclusively for 14 months. Second baby, all ready to supplement and do everything, but I had a full milk supply. Third baby as well. So I think all three were successful, even though I didn't have milk for the first. Oh, that is just such a, a wonderful, reassuring thing for our listeners to hear. All righty, everyone. I'll give you a few minutes to think about everything that Diana has just said during this segment. Come back. Don't go away. We're going to talk more about when those ducks are severed and other related topics. We'll be right back, both Diana West and myself, right after this break. Don't go away. We'll be back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. 
We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I'm here today with my special guest, Diana West, who is the author of Defining Your Own Success, Breastfeeding After Breast Reduction Surgery, and also other books. Diana, just before the break, you gave us just a brief glimpse of having your having breastfed your own three children. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that? Because I know I cut you off there. No, that's fine. Yes, I I think it's um, a, an expectation that people often have that the first experience breastfeeding after having surgery, which is not always the first baby. Sometimes people have their surgery after having children. Um, they expect that it's going to be the determiner of how much milk they'll be able to make as just kind of a baseline capability. But as it turns out, most people find that they make less milk the first time. And with subsequent babies, they typically make more milk. And that was exactly my case. With my first baby, I had probably about a 60% milk supply. I didn't know the first thing about how to increase supply. I didn't, nobody but knew back then. That was back in the (laughs) the dark ages. Now don't date yourself there, woman. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Uh, For those of you who haven't met Diana, she looks like she's 28 years old, but she's not because she has a kid in college. So, (laughs) that's so sweet of you to say. It's true. (laughs) But, you know, this was in the 90s and the Internet had just started. I was just finding other women to connect with so we could share notes and, you know, what was working for them, which was the the life saving for me. And that's, of course, so easy today, but it was kind of revolutionary back then. But I had, um, like I said, I I didn't have enough milk. We ended up doing supplementation at breast, and we'll talk more about that later in the show, I know. But I also was giving him a lot of bottles, and the way that I was giving it kind of led him to not want to breastfeed as much, uh, the old nipple confusion sort of thing. And he eventually stopped wanting to nurse after three months. So that's when I started pumping for him, because I still wanted him to have my milk, even if it was in a bottle. Sure. Sure. But with the second and the third, um, the biggest difference that I made, and I think this was huge, uh, even though I was totally prepared to supplement again, I I really expected to, I did try to give myself the best start, and I had an unmedicated birth. I was fortunate enough in the D.C. area, uh, Washington, D.C. area, to be able to give birth at a freestanding birthing center, which is out of business now, unfortunately, but there's others across the, the world, of course. But I was um, determined to give birth in such a way that I could maximize my baby's ability to breastfeed at the beginning 
so that my baby would do as much milk removal at the beginning to set my supply as high as possible. And that is exactly what happened. That's and key. In fa- well, in fact, I, I never, um, my poor baby, Ben, he never lost an ounce. I kept waiting. Oh, wow. Wow. And gaining. And he's eventually in the 90th percentile. And I'm just, uh, well, when do I start supplementing? Uh, gosh, I guess I don't have to. So what a it, story. Really was, it was a surprise. And it doesn't sure. always go that way. In fact, my, right. my experience is unusual. And I think that what most of the time people experience is it's a little bit better. So if you had 60%, I'm making these numbers up sure. on the top of my head, but if you had 60%. Okay. To begin with, you might have 75% of a supply the next time and maybe 90% the time after that. Again, everybody's different. It also matters how long it has been since the surgery. In general, and really, again, keeping in mind everybody's different, all the different types of surgeries, but most people generally do better after about five years. And the reason for that is that gives time for parts of the breast, inside the breast, that have been damaged to heal. And there's two main things that we look at. One is the nerves and one is the ducts. Most people assume that the ducts are more important because that's what conveys the milk from the cells that make the milk to the nipple. But there's a lot of ducts. There's a very uh, redundant infrastructure and ducts will reconnect. They actually do kind of knit back together. But What's much more important is the nerves. We have nerves that wrap around from our spines to our breasts at about 4 o'clock and 8 o'clock on the left and right side. Uh And if those nerves have been severed during the surgery, a woman will find that she doesn't have as good nerve response on her nipples or she's oversensitive, which is almost worse. And the problem with that is it causes lack of milk ejection. So the milk ejection response is where more milk is delivered through breastfeeding than just by the baby creating vacuum. So this active propelling of milk through the breast, which is caused by little tiny muscles around the ducts squeezing the milk through the ducts, happens because of that nerve response. So Diana, uh, excuse me, Um, I... I want to make sure I understand that you are saying that it's not just about production. Right. It's also about milk ejection. Absolutely. So yeah. the woman may be able to produce plenty of milk, but it either can't get out because the the highway, the channel for it, the ducts, has been severed, or there's not enough nerve response to propel the milk through the ducts. Now, there are ways to augment that, to make it happen in spite of itself. One of those ways is called breast compressions, and this is probably the most effective way. It's extremely low-tech. It won't cost you a penny, and it goes like this. If you can picture putting your fingers underneath your breast and your thumb on top of your breast so that you're kind of cupped in a C-type of position, and you're feeling with your thumb to find the harder spots in your breast, that's the glandular tissue, and then you bring your lower fingers up and you press your thumb down, and you're compressing the tissue between your fingers fairly firmly, you're creating pressure inside the breast, and that pressure while the baby is sucking or you're pumping, will actually propel the milk out. And that is going to simulate, not stimulate, but simulate a milk injection. Yes, 
mimic, as in, if, yes, if, if I think your enunciation was, was quite good, but remember people are hearing this over the internet, <laughs> so uh, I, I'm thinking, yes, it is simulate as in mimic. Diana, let me ask you this, because, I, you know, I just had a little light bulb go on for myself here. I have noticed that women who have reductions, when their milk, I hate to use this word, comes in, but you know what I mean, that's what everybody calls it, um, it's sort of like uneven or or whatever that word would be is is it really that what i'm seeing there is that that ejection reflex is not equivalent on both well it doesn't have to be equivalent on both sides anyway but um is is that why i'm seeing that sort of it's possible there's always possibility that one side was damaged more than the other but Uh i I think more likely what we may be seeing is that there's er- some areas of the breast are dr- able to drain and some aren't. We do, and, and this is an inexplicable um, phenomenon, I have no explanation for this, but it seems with almost every woman I've ever worked with, including myself, that there is one breast that is a super producer and yep. one breast that is just yep. barely producing. Yep, yep, and yep. I don't know the explanation, and the you, you can't really pin it on the nerves because the sensation <laughs> is pretty equal on both sides. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. I don't know. I, I really can't explain it, but it seems to be over and over that I see this with women. So one of these days I'll have that answer, and I'll come back on your show. So is it fair, as you know, I come from a very nursing perspective where I'm always thinking in terms of, how do I assess this? Right. You know, I sure. got that word about a million times in nursing school. Let me, so, so let me ask you, if the woman reports that she has sensation, yes. should I be reassured by that? Well, what we want to compare it to is the sensation that she had before her reduction. Yes. Now, here's the, the problem that makes this a little bit difficult is when one has exceptionally large breasts, so that they're so large you might want to have a reduction, the tension at the areola part, which is very low typically, um, it's, it's typically very um, disproportionately low on the breast because of gravity, is it creates less sensation. So many women who have very large breasts don't have as much sensation to begin with. But still, if we compare it to what they began with, then that really does give us some kind of idea. What does happen, though, as those nerves are healing, the uh, tissue becomes hypersensitive. So we typically find that women are, I mean, almost unbearably, um, people they just can't stand to be touched when uh-huh. they're still healing. So it's a good sign that the healing is happening, but it means that they're not fully there and it will get better. Yes. So in the couple of minutes that we have left, tell me this. If there are ducts that have been severed and they become engorged when the milk comes in, can the can the woman, well, uh, anybody can get a mastitis, but does that mean she is destined for a mastitis? No, it does not. And okay. that's such a complicated answer. Let's definitely talk about it after the break. Well, we, we've got a minute or so. Can you go into that just a little bit? Okay. Absolutely. Uh, one of the reasons that women are sometimes discouraged from breastfeeding is the possibility of mastitis, which is a breast inflammation or a breast infection, two different possibilities. And the reality is that the areas that cannot drain will get very backed up, very hard, very uncomfortable usually. 
Um, but then they start to atrophy. The areas actually reabsorb the milk and the cells that make the milk begin to die off and then it doesn't produce milk anymore. That's not going to necessarily lead to inflammation or infection because there is no outlet to bacteria. There, it can become infected from the blood supply, but that's extremely unlikely. Unlikely, yes. Never see it. Yes. yes, and certainly I would want all of our listeners to realize that anybody can get mastitis for any reason at any time and they don't have to have had surgery or whatever, but I think that that's just something that people do worry about and I think you gave a really excellent explanation uh, there. So, uh, I am Marie Biancuzzo here with Born to be Breastfed and with my special guest, Diana West, author of Defining Your Own Success, Breastfeeding After Breast Reduction Surgery. These segments have gone way too fast, but I would encourage all of you, please stick around. We'll be back right after this break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuzo or her guest on today's program, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to radio at born to be breastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming back to listen to our 
guest today, Diana West. Diana is the author of Defining Your Own Success, Breastfeeding After Breast Reduction Surgery. So, of course, the show today is on reduction surgery. Before I ask Diana to continue, I'd like to invite you to send email. I'd like to hear your questions about this show or maybe previous shows. Let me just repeat that address for you. It's radio at borntobebreastfed.com. And I'll repeat that. Please send your questions related to this show or other shows to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Okay, Diana, before the the break, you were telling us about basically the um, kind of like what happens after you've had that surgery. And the other thing that I want to be sure that we talk about here is, uh, this is a, a common question, is it normal for nipples to turn bright white after nursing when a mother has had breast or nipple surgery? Great question. I would say this, it's not normal but it is common uh-huh and we're not quite sure why it is that more women who've had breast surgery and that includes augmentations reductions even breast lifts women who've had breast surgeries typically experience more of the nipple turning bright white technically that's called vasospasm it's a spasm of the little nerves at the end of the nipple and they're constricting the blood flow and not nerves, the little muscles. I'm the sorry. Muscles. <laughs> I suddenly realized, oh my gosh. Yeah, and I was trying to figure out if I was going to correct you or I, if you were going to correct yourself. <laughs> come into my head and sometimes they're not the right ones. And that blood flow gets constrained at the tip of the nipple. Sometimes what we see is bright white. Sometimes we see that actually it's dark purple because too much blood is being held in the nipple. Right. Or can turn just really red and a little deeper shade of red. So there's a lot of different ways that it can play out. But what that often is a sign of is nipple trauma. So sometimes we see it more often in women who've had breast surgery because the baby may not be able to latch as deeply to the nipple because the pedicle, we were talking about the beginning of the show, the pedicle area underneath the areola where there's all that tissue, is a little bit more shallow. It somehow isn't quite as um, protruding. So the baby gets a more shallow latch, and that is going to cause trauma to the nipple. Now, I also have to point out that sometimes that happens with women who haven't had surgery at all. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Because the baby's latching shallowly, and that can be a sign of other issues with the baby. Or in very rare circumstances, some women have a condition called Raynaud's syndrome, where they actually experience this on the tips of their fingers, on their toes, and all their extremities. But if you've never experienced it anywhere else in your body and you're only seeing it on your nipples, it's probably more a sign of nipple trauma. And the key to that is working with a board-certified lactation consultant to help you get the baby to latch as deeply as possible and maybe come up with some troubleshooting uh, mechanisms to fix the problem. And tell us then about adhesions. That's a similar but but different question. Uh, is it, they will ask about if it's possible that the pain that they're feeling during nursing is from adhesions or from scar tissues. Yeah. Now, I, I, certainly people can have adhesions for other reasons, but as related to this. Okay, and I, I 
absolutely will answer that. But before I do, <laughs> I, say, I just realized I didn't say something very important about vasospasm. Oh, sure. Let's back up. Yeah, yeah. So one of the ways to stop the pain, uh, this could be ex- enormously painful. Some people actually think they have yeast infections because it's so painful. It's a deep burning feeling deep into the breast. But it's happening at the same time the nipples are turning bright white. One of the ways to stop the pain immediately is to press behind the nipple to press blood, force blood, deep into the nipple tip. Yes. And that immediately stops the pain. But that is not preventative. There are drugs. Nifedipine is one drug. And some people find that even um, B12 can help. And that's something where, again, talking to a board-certified lactation consultant specifically and maybe even a physician – may provide some long-term strategies. Okay, ready to go to adhesions. Yes, adhesions. (laughs) (laughs) I just had to get that in. Um, Adhesions are little fibrous bits of tissue that form after there's been trauma. And this can form very commonly after surgery to the breast. And it may be felt as a pulling sensation. It may even be felt as a painful sensation. But it's not something that typically is problematic. Most people don't report having much sensation or awareness of any of this. Um, Most of the time when we have problems inside the breast because of having had surgery, the issues that we see are more related to things like severed ducts or severed nerves or a shallow pedicle so that the baby can't latch deeply, we don't typically see that people have um, adhesions that cause them pain or that, that you know constrain the ducts or anything that becomes problematic. Has your experience been different than that, Marie? No, I, th- I would say you're about on target, yeah. Okay. So I think it's not something to worry about. I think that if you're feeling something like that, it certainly is worth talking um, to your surgeon, possibly, although a lot of them won't really talk to you too long after your surgery. I mean, years later, they're not too interested in talking about breastfeeding issues. You could try doing some rubbing and massage of the breast to try to actually elongate, stretch them, or perhaps even break them. But most of the time, that's not necessary. I was just going to say, it's been my experience that usually it's the baby nursing that is probably the best Yes, treatment, I, if, if if treatment is a word for that. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think so. I think, you know, just normal um, expansion and contraction that happens as the breast fills and empties and as the baby pulls during suckling, I think all of those activities are normal and it should begin to feel more comfortable. Keep in mind, too, that, you know, for any woman who's had, well, not for any woman who hasn't had surgery and is having a baby for the first time, everything feels weird. It feels wonky. It's unusual sensations we've never experienced before. So yes. it does take some some getting used to. And also as the breasts kind of settle in after the initial huge influx of milk that happens in the first week. Diana, uh, thank you. Yes. Uh, one of the things that I am always aware of is that like everybody else, I always have the right intentions. I just don't always say the right things. And, and you know how that feels. All of a sudden you say, oh, hoof in mouth disease, you know, in uh, open mouth, insert foot. And I'm trying to help the professionals in our audience to not say something really dumb right. to the mother who has had reduction surgery. And I guess maybe 
in a different way that goes for people who are uh, not professionals. They're just friends or colleagues or whatever. Uh, I was thinking, for example, this is not the situation where you tell the mother, oh, you've got twice as much milk on one side as on the other. Oh, very bad, bad, bad. No, you don't say that because that's actually rather typical for the uh, woman with a breast reduction surgery. And I was thinking of that wonderful example that you gave about in your your book and for the life of me, I couldn't find it a second time, but the woman was sitting on a park bench with another breastfeeding woman. And apparently they were having this happy conversation where they were breastfeeding mothers and soulmates and, you know, on the same page with breastfeeding their babies. But the one mother is starting to feel very anxious because she has to leave. And the reason she has to leave is because she has to supplement her baby, but she doesn't want the other mother to think that she's supplementing the baby because that kind of flies in the face of what mothers think that they're supposed to do, which is exclusive breastfeeding. So those are two very different examples from both the standpoint of what a professional might say or what a mother might say to another mother. Can you help us with some really dumb things that we say to mothers that might make them feel bad about themselves or just be inaccurate if they've had reduction surgery? Yeah, I think that one of the things that people often say, and this actually typically comes from plastic surgeons, but some nurses have been known to say this as well, you could not have nursed with large breasts anyway. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. And you that, know where that comes from? No, what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that that is based on that study, and I am speaking off the top of my head right now, but I believe it was Dr. Marianne Neifert's study in the 80s that said that if you had more than 500 grams removed, that your ducts were um, whatever the fancy word would be for squashed. What they're saying in this instance is if you had really large breasts to begin with, you would never have been able to nurse anyway, so it doesn't matter that you've had a reduction because you wouldn't have had any chance to nurse whether or not you'd had the reduction or not. Right, right. But see, yes. I think that's what they're, what they're confusing, you know? Okay, okay. Well, and the problem is that that's just not true. It's true. There's right. Women who have very large breasts nurse very, very competently, just fine a lot, most of the time. Um, now, it can be more difficult to latch a baby when you cannot see your nipple. If it's so far <laughs> below your breast, you cannot see it. It can make it hard. But that's what, what you know, women have dealt with since the beginning of time. You figure out yes. how to do it, and then you do it. You do it. And you may have more ability to store milk. You may have more room in the breast to store milk. But it doesn't mean you would not have been able to breastfeed. So that's just not true. Another thing that people say is, well, it really doesn't matter because formula is just as good. Uh, Oh, yeah. And I think, of course, most of your audience knows that that's just not true. True. Oh, Uh, so true. Yeah. So that one goes without saying. But most importantly, um, people don't understand a lot of times when a person is supplementing. They don't see, they often don't understand why she's going to all the effort. Why don't you just want to bottle feed anyway? You know, what's, what's the big What's the big deal? Why go to all this effort? Yes, and so that is is very minimized, certainly. Diana, thank you so much. Um, We are going to break right now, but don't go away. Everybody, come back. We will see you on the other side of the break soon. (music) 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with my special guest, Diana West, who is the author of Defining Your Own Success, Breastfeeding After Breast Reduction Surgery, as well as other books. Uh, Diana, as we move forward in this very last segment, one of the questions that I kind of wrestle with myself, and I've heard it from others too, is, do you feel like there's a delay? And, and, and I don't know that I've really read any good studies on this, but just from your gut, and having seen hundreds of women, would you say that there is a delay in their milk, quote, coming in after they've had reduction surgery? Or do you think that that is not true? Or do you think that it's just perception? Or what do you think? <laughs> I don't think it's true. I really okay. don't. I, I have not, not noticed that. I have not seen that. I think that what we do see is because the tissue is not emptying as well as it can be, because uh-huh. the baby's not removing the milk, we may see that the transition is a little bit slower. But I don't really think that there's anything hormonal or physiological that's causing it other than a lack of milk removal. And, of course, it's going to be dependent upon how well those nipple, I mean, the ducts are connected. If the connection is not good and more ducts, then there's less milk removal, which would delay the milk coming in. See, I think it's a visual perception Ah. more 
you know what I'm saying? Like they have that visual. I don't. I don't want to use the word lumpy because that's not true. Yeah, but there's an unevenness yeah. or something. Right. right. Absolutely. And I wonder if it's just visual. And can you talk to us a little bit about that fifty-fifty stuff that doctors yeah. mentioned? What on earth does right. that? Mean? A lot of mothers who've had breast reduction surgery are told by their surgeons, and gosh, if I had a nickel for every time I heard this. <laughs> They are told that they will have a 50-50 chance of successfully breastfeeding. Oh, and that brings us to what is success? Well, it does, but but before we get there, let me just say that 50-50 means absolutely nothing. It's not based in any research that's ever been done. It's just something that I think that they hear in medical school or they pull Uh, out and ask because it sounds good. It's not based on data. No, but the problem is, what are we also talking about? Are we talking about 50-50 chance of having a full milk supply? 50-50 chance of having any milk? What does that mean? And mothers understand it differently. So let's just kind of throw it away right to begin with. There doesn't mean anything. But when we talk about successful breastfeeding, and that really is a great place to end the show today, successful breastfeeding doesn't as we said at the beginning, depend at all on the amount of milk. Now, of course, there's no denying that the more milk you have, the more the easier it's going to be. But women have been able to supplement at breast and also with bottles and still have a baby nurse very, very happily. Sure. And they're able to enjoy that amazing experience at breast. Uh, I would totally agree. And I also think that you make a wonderful case in your book that it's really the woman who defines her own success with breastfeeding. And I think I might even bump that up a notch. I think that we all define our own success as women. We define our own success as professionals, as whatever whatever we are. We can't let anyone dictate that to us. It's not you have a full milk supply that says whether or not you're successfully breastfeeding it's really how much you enjoy it how much your baby enjoys it do you look forward to the some feedings we all dread but for the most part are you looking forward to those feedings those cuddle times with your baby that's really what it's all about it's not always just the milk uh, and I say that to women who, uh, for instance, have, are trying to relactate. I get the focus off from the exclusive breastfeeding thing because I don't know that that's ever going to be a reality. Right. It's really about this is an experience. This is not a task. It is an experience. It is a process. It is a relationship, for heaven's it's sakes. It's not even a feeding method. Exactly. Right. You're right. right. It's, it's a relationship. And once it starts to feel fun, you're there, man. That's success. Oh, totally, totally agree. And I think it's really important that our listeners understand that because otherwise I think I am just, and maybe I'm showing my age here, but I am so sick of everybody getting hung up on every last milliliter of milk. It's not about if I say it's it's fun and that defines success. Look at it. I just defined it myself. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. No, everybody <laughs> decides for themselves what feels yes. successful. Yes. So so tell me this. Have you met women and were you maybe one of those women who said, "Uh-oh, I had breast surgery. I did this to myself. 
I I chose to to have this surgery, and now I don't even know if I'm going to be able to breastfeed my baby. And now I'm I'm breastfeeding my baby, and it's actually not going very well. When in fact, yeah. some people don't understand that it may or may not have anything to do with the surgery. It just may be that they're like, you know, they've got a bump in the rope. We women beat ourselves up, and yes. we are really good at it. And and so, how do we help women to understand that? Well, one of the things I sometimes say is, you know what, you've got to play the uh, hand you're dealt. So do you have anything? We have to realize that we made these decisions to have this surgery because we were going through a lot. We didn't, no one undertakes it frivolously. And you just have to trust that you made the decision that was best for you at the time. And you deal with what you, like you said, the hands, the cards that you're dealt. But we need to be kind and forgive ourselves. Because sometimes I've seen women who, at the time, and you mentioned these in your book, too. At the time, they're 21 years old. They're all about body image. And it's all about me, 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 which is kind of what 21-year-olds are about. (laughs) And then when they're 40, they're pregnant with their first baby, and they realize, whoa. And so... I guess I was just hoping, and I think you just gave us a couple of good sound bites for how we can help these women to sort of take the pressure off from the, hey, you know, it's done. Well, and we have to realize we did the best, we made the best decisions at the time. Time. And now we make new decisions for where we are now. It really is just meeting ourselves where we are in the moment. Yes. Um, So, and, and tell us this. We know that you've got your really excellent book. Okay. Tell us, what, what was your primary motivator for writing that book? Helping other mothers. I wanted other mothers to have the resource that I didn't have. Yes. And so then I also went to create a website, BFAR, Breastfeeding After Reduction, BFAR.org. And there's also um, a new book that I'd love to come back and talk to you about sometime about ways to make more milk called The Breastfeeding yes. Mother's guide to making more milk exactly uh you know i've been trying to shut you up on that because i want to bring you back for, <laughs> hey, it's a teaser for next time uh, diana could you repeat your website for us please sure bfar excuse me bfar.org and also you have an email list as well do you not no, no, actually that turned into forums that are accessible through the website and there's several Facebook, there's actually one Facebook group, BFAR. So if someone goes onto Facebook and enters BFAR, there's a closed Facebook group they can ask to join. That is absolutely fantastic. The surgery themselves, both the forum and the, and the email, uh, the Facebook are for the women who've had the surgery. Uh-huh. Well, it has been so fantastic to have you with us today. I'd like to thank you for being with us, everyone. We've been talking with Diana West, author of Defining Your Own Success, Breastfeeding After uh, Breast Surgery. But that's all the time that we have today. I'd like to thank Diana for being with us. I'd like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed. Please visit our website at borntobebreastfed.com for a preview of what's coming up next week. And by all means, if you didn't catch it live, no, you can always catch it on uh, I, 
through iTunes, whether it's uh, today or previous shows. I'm Marie Biancuso. I promise to help you to cut through the myths, clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday. Same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.